Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Genevieve. Hi, um, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. Um, and thank you to the speaker seeker for asking me to speak. I'm Genevieve. Um, I have an eating disorder. <clears throat> I, uh, I can't believe that I'm speaking at Light a Candle. I, I listened to these podcasts in the bathroom in the first six months of program after I had joined in Los Angeles and had to then go shoot a television show where I gained about 30 pounds in between the first and second episode of the show because I was binging on ice cream and everything else on set and binging into the middle of the night and going to sleep in the middle of the night, absolutely swollen and exhausted and dehydrated um, and waking up mere moments later to show up in a makeup chair and, and um, hope that they could hide what I'd done to my body. But in that process, um, I just listened to these podcasts. And so if there's anyone out there who is in this moment with their eating disorder, um, I know you can't stop. I couldn't stop. All I've ever been able to do is add program. I can't subtract the disease. I can just listen to more podcasts, go to more meetings. Um, for those people who have just joined this program in the pandemic, <clears throat> I truly wish for you the willingness to go to meetings in person when those happen again. Um, walking into my first OA meeting was an absolutely holy experience where I could just sort of figuratively and kind of literally like lay down my arms in child's pose on the ground and say, help me, help me. Um, I don't identify as a compulsive overeater. That's something that's changed for me in the last uh, year plus. Um, I eat compulsively. I eat emotionally. Um, I restrict severely. I exercise insanely. I vomit. I'm a vomit bulimic. I'm a, you know, a, kind of a bulimic. I realized for a long time through like chewing gum and that I'm like chewing, but I'm not really swallowing. So maybe that is kind of chewing and spitting. But for a long time, I really clung to the idea that I was also a compulsive overeater because um, I have been overweight in my life. Um, I have spent most of my life eating most of the day. And um, I was afraid because really in my heart, I am a restrictor, that if I didn't identify as a compulsive overeater, you would make me get fat. And so I needed you to know that really my relationship with food is an addictive one and it's, um, and I can overdo it. And even though I might at the moment be presenting in a smaller body, I've been in a much larger body and I have that too. And 
the truth is, um, while I know that there are, you know, it's a, a significant quotient of our program that um, is a compulsive overeater, that is the name of the program, uh, and that there are many of us who are 100 pounders, who are obese, who have, you know, uh, an ad addiction to eating many, many, many pizzas a night and not throwing it up. I have never been obese. And I do believe that a great amount of my overeating has been the absolutely non-negotiable side effect of undereating. And to that, I say, this disease is threefold. It is spiritual, it is emotional. And to all of the restrictors listening to this and, and in this meeting, it is physical. It is. Behaviors may have started for me to look totally insane, not because I'm insane, but because the cells in my body remember every single time I under ate. Um, and given the opportunity, they will take their time back and, uh, and then some, because, um, because they, don't, they don't trust that I'm gonna take care of them. Uh, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't. Um, I never know exactly how much of like my childhood to throw in there because when I'm listening to other people's stories, I get a little kind of lost in those details. But just to give you some stats for the people listening, I am, um, uh, uh, you know, I believe I was born with this. I believe that I've been eating emotionally since my mom says that I breastfed for longer than any baby she'd ever seen. Um, which also says something about the fact that my parents were watching my eating at that young of an age. I, I think uh, this is definitely a disease that runs in my family. Um, but I think, you know, basically what I feel like it's important for, for you guys to know is that I, I was always a highly sensitive, emotional, um, um, soft, soft child, girl who knew that in her particular family, the thing about her that was most salient was not that she was smart. It was that she was the pretty one. And that was something that was um, a blessing and a curse because it was also something that my insatiable need to be eating could constantly wreck. And so um, I gave myself, I, I just never understood how everybody else did it. I just, I looked at like these other girls around me and I was just like, I, I don't understand like what, What's your, what are you doing? How do you have such skinny thighs? Like, I, I can't, I don't understand. All I can do is think about the food, the next time I have the food and when, how full I am right now is gonna wear off so I can be more full again. Um, for me, that uh, was always kind of went hand in hand with like these compensatory behaviors. So like, uh, you know, getting into high school and starting to sort of see the effects of this on my body more and um, exercising a lot. Uh, discovering it, my sort of uh, oh, diet pills. I think I discovered diet pills, which I would take before track practice. Um, I discovered a commercial weight loss program in my senior year of college, uh, senior year of high school and lost a bunch of weight uh, before I went to college. In college, I discovered um, uh, Adderall. I took a lot of Adderall to take my appetite away. And <clears throat> I sort of found that like my baseline of um, feeling real homeostasis <laughs> was like having had a, a lot of Adderall, 
a lot of wine and a bunch of cigarettes. Then I felt sort of normal. Um, and at the end of the night, I would eat just about all of my roommate's food. I actually would like get down on my hands. They hid the peanut butter and I would get down on my hands and knees in their rooms and sniff out where the peanut butter jar was and I would find it. Um, that's what I did at parties. I would go from the party into the pantry and like hide there, scoop out some peanut butter and then like try to make out with someone. Um, after college, um, my weight just kept sort of increasing and I became a raw vegan for many years, not having anything to do with uh, animal rights or the environment or even really my health. I just sort of thought that that's how I would be skinny. I was getting colonics uh, every single week. I, um, yeah, I, I reached my top weight as a raw vegan um, in New York City cleaning out all of, uh, you know, the, the guacamole at every Chipotle uh, <laughs> in town and um, then drinking a lot of white wine because it was um, a fruit. So I, uh, I have this sort of like, I, I don't think we're really supposed to identify what our occupations are in this program because I think it's sort of like, I mean, A, for me, there's sort of the issue of anonymity, but more importantly than that, it's like, I don't want you to get lost in the details of what I do for a living as though that makes me any different from any of anyone else. Like, I, I think we're sort of, I, I, I interpret the idea of anonymity as like, we leave our political affiliations, our, um, you know, our uh, whatever, what, what books we're reading, what like music we listen to, we leave it all outside because we just don't know what, um, it is about that identifying piece of information that's going to make someone who needs to hear the message stop listening. Uh, so that's why I, you know, wouldn't wear band t-shirts or like talk about specific movies by name or any of that stuff um, in meetings because it's really not the point. Um, why am I saying this? Oh, I do sort of feel like in order to tell my story, it's important that you know that I'm an actor because it, uh, because I think I would be lying if I didn't say that part of me felt like I needed to become an actor because it was the one profession that if I chose it, it would like force me to be skinny. It's so scary to say that out loud because I feel so like, um, <laughs> oh, how, how silly, what a terrible idea <laughs> to do that. Um, but the great thing is that I also have a higher power and that, um, if that were the only reason that I were doing it, I wouldn't still do it. I wouldn't be successful doing it. I, I, um, it certainly wouldn't sustain me. However, in the, I went to graduate school and in the year before I graduated, um, I was, I also got into a relationship with a man who I wanted to marry and thought was absolutely perfect. And the combination of pleasing him and, um, becoming a professional actor and knowing I couldn't be fat led me to, for the first time in my life, restricting and counting calories, uh, which I had never done before. And uh, by the time, so I think I was probably about 25 or 26 when that happened, um, I dieted my way down to, uh, by the way, eating like powdered food, ultimately only eating um, yogurt and gum. Uh, and I went from being, I sort of, I lost maybe 
70 pounds of body weight, but, but was also zero, zero percent body fat and, um, probably could have died at, at any moment. That was not the end of this <laughs> road for me. Um, I do remember the greatest betrayal I've ever felt was looking down at the scale, seeing only two numbers instead of three, looking in the mirror and realizing that I, I more closely resembled someone in Auschwitz than I did someone who at that moment happened to be on Broadway. Um, I had to leave the, the play that I was in because I didn't have the uh, breath to get up the stairs. I didn't, um, uh, the, the, I was basically fired because I no longer looked uh, suitable for the role I was playing. Uh, that play won a Tony Award. I did not go to the Tony Awards because I was not, uh, uh, it, it was not suitable for me to be seen in public. I looked so ill. So I watched the rest of my company um, win a Tony Award. Uh, the person I was with left me because he felt like I was having an affair um, with my eating disorder, which I, I was. All I wanted for my birthday that year was to be able to go to the gym um, before my two-show day uh, and um, not have to apologize for it. Uh, I did actually go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting at that point, um, but I walked in and everyone was talking about abstinence and I was like, guys, I already abstained from everything. So what's, this is clearly not for me. What that led to, uh, and this is why I say that this disease is physical, is what that led to for me was um, what I have seen anecdotally and not even remotely, I, I couldn't claim this as science, but I have found this to be anecdotally true an absolutely non-negotiable part of anorexic recovery that includes binge eating. It must, it just must. The body just will override the brain and say, give me that no matter where it comes from. My disease was such that I could not um, agree to do that. I couldn't do that through a program. I couldn't do that through treatment. I couldn't do that even through just like buying myself food at the store. I did it through eating out of garbage cans. I would walk around uh, garbage cans in my own building and in uh, New York City in public garbage cans. And I would look to see what was inside it. And if I could find anything, um, I, I sort of align that with like this, this part of me that, um, has always just really been looking for dopamine and serotonin. Um, I have the kind of comorbid crises of like, I have OCD, I have depression. I, and I think I've been trying to like modulate a sort of natural inclination towards like a low serotonin environment in my brain with these well-worn grooves of like ways that I can pursue it. Um, and so I guess, let's see where we are here. So I, I spent several months binging out of garbage cans in New York City. Uh, and one day after I had moved to Los Angeles um, for a job, I binged so much that I threw up. And this was at like the ripe old age of 27 or something. And I had never been a quote unquote successful vomit bulimic. And I was so psyched. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I got it, I got it. I can finally have everything and get rid of all of it. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. Um, and then I really committed to doing that. 
and I came up with all kinds of, sorry, that's my dog in the background. If you can hear him, I came up with like all kinds of ridiculous methods of doing this. I didn't do it any of the traditional ways. I don't need to get into all the ways that I did it, but basically there was one point at which I was pull, I was I, living above a bakery, waiting for them to throw their garbage bags out on the side of the street at night, pulling the garbage bags up to my apartment, binging on the baked goods inside the garbage bags. And then at five o'clock in the morning, being so tired, I had to throw the garbage bags out the window and onto the street like I couldn't even bring them back down. I didn't even come into this program because I was bulimic. I came into this program because I was bulimic and I'm starting to get fat. And that is what I know really defines my disease is this fear of my body. I have all of the behaviors, but it is this, this surfeit of emotion and humanity and wisdom and, and, and brilliance in my mind and sensitivity and just temperament and, and no real feeling of a vessel in the world that can hold it including my body. And so a need to constantly be medicating it through my mouth. By the way, when I was anorexic, I was not the kind of anorexic that pushed a pee around a plate ever. I was the kind of anorexic that was constantly stuffed because I was eating like 25 heads of iceberg lettuce and mustard and like, you know, gum, 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 constantly gum, 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 gum. And like, I just, yeah, I, I just volume, 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 empty volume, constantly doing math equations for like, how am I going to uh, get the most in my mouth for the least kind of like financial debt calorie wise calories. That's another thing. Um, so, okay. So I think I've been talking for about three hours about what it was like. So I, I crawled into program on my hands and knees and um, I spent the first six months. Uh, I immediately had to go away for a show. So I was away from LA. I spent the first six months of program uh, vomiting worse and worse and worse. I mean, I definitely got worse. Uh, and when I finished this show, I happened to be shooting it in Canada. And I had a boyfriend at the time, that poor thing. And I came back from Canada and I was just like, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I just moved in with them. <laughs> I just needed a bodyguard. Um, and I started working the steps. Um, I started working the steps. I've worked the steps about four times in their totality and I've worked them uh, sort of in parts for other times. I, uh, I didn't start working the steps or start working this program because I was ready to be free of an eating disorder. I just didn't wanna be bulimic. <laughs> um, I feel like there are different voices associated with the different parts of this disease and the compulsive overeater says, you're a piece of shit, I'm sorry, you are, piece of duty and the compulsive and the bulimic also says you're the worst and the uh restrictor anorexic says good job mm -hmm. good job you did it keep going well done this is right and um so I uh, you know I was willing to put down compulsive overeating uh, I was definitely willing to stop throwing up, um, but I was not willing to stop restricting. And I spent my first year in program um, losing weight, eating like soup cauldrons full of lettuce and salad dressing and, uh, you know, steamed broccoli and ketchup. And 
I didn't throw up. And that was really like what it took, <laughs> you know, that's what it took. What happened was for anyone who is attempting the same thing is that I got hungry. I got really, really, really hungry. And I cannot restrict without binging. I cannot binge without purging. And I cannot purge without wanting to kill myself. So I relapsed um, a year into program. Uh, actually, uh, immediately upon moving out from the boyfriend who I was using as a bodyguard between me and the toilet. And um, uh, I couldn't stop. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop throwing up. So I... Um, decided to go to treatment and I went to treatment like three times over the course of a year. And that was the last time that I've been like in full blown bulimic disability. I need to be institutionalized. I can't stop. Bulimia is just, it's a really, it's a, it's really a kicker for everybody on the call who understands that. Um, I want to talk about the steps. Hold on a second. I get, okay, so I want to take the, the step one for me basically every time I work it is I'm effed. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'm, this is the pain of this is greater than the pain of not this, but I can't stop. I'm completely out of control. And for me, so, so, okay, so I've, worked step one and started the steps over pretty much at like any given giant gateway of a behavior in my recovery that is taking me out. Um, and step two is just this idea of like, oh my God, uh, maybe something else. I don't know. I can't. So maybe, maybe something else can. It's where um, I don't want to alienate anyone who's new with this idea of God. Uh, I want to be perfectly clear. I am a very, I can't identify, I can't identify more specifically. Let's just say I grew up in New York City and I believe in science. And basically where I come from, if you believe in God, it's because you're stupid and you didn't get an education. It's so sad. It's so sad, that, that line of thinking. And it's really what I come from. So if you are having that experience of a higher power, I get it. I didn't come to this with any background in it. Um, I came to this, uh, yeah, but I was desperate and I really love hope and magic and innocence. Um, my experience of a higher power, my definition of a higher power is, I often call it a higher power of my not understanding because um, why should I get it? You know, ants don't understand evolution. That doesn't mean that they're not a part of it. <laughs> you know, I don't understand higher power. I'm not supposed to, it's not my job. I'm just supposed to understand evolution. Ants aren't supposed to understand evolution. They're just supposed to understand leaves and carrying them. So I, yeah, so three, and this is where I wanna be super clear that like, this is my opinion only and not the opinion of OA. Three is, uh, you know, one is I can't do this. Two is something, please help me. And three is like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna let you help me. I have never understood God to be something that is so much more, so, so all powerful over everything, except for this pesky little thing called my will. I also believe that God controls my will. I also believe that my willingness has been increasingly greater over time 
in accordance with God and that my will isn't bad and um, that I have always been on time to the level of spiritual um, revelation that is important or digestible for me at the moment in which I encounter it. Um, so step three, so, so step four, you know, searching and fearless moral inventory. It's, you know, I've done it all of the, the obvious ways, making all of the lists, answering all of the questions. Um, for those of you who are afraid of step four, I sincerely don't think you need to be. Step six is obviously way worse, just kidding. Um, but no, step four really in my mind is a list. It's a list. You just make a list. You go down, you write a bunch of names. It's not long sentences. It's not an essay. I think one thing that's really great about step four is like um, when it's not just resentments um, or like wrongdoings, it's sort of like anyone belongs on there that if they were to walk into the room right now, I'd feel just kind of like ick. It's just a general list about ick for me. And like, if there's ick, that means there's something underneath the rock that maybe is kind of cool and I want to take a look at. Um, step five is telling someone about it. <laughs> um, step six for me has sort of been about looking at um, perfectionism, control, fear, dishonesty. It's all fear. And I think the reason that I think that it's the hardest one is because it's like, oh, for me, the way that I work step six is I often have to illustrate like, what would my life look like? What would my eating disorder look like if I didn't have this fear? And a lot of the time it's like, well, I wouldn't count calories. I wouldn't own a body weight scale. I wouldn't, um, oh my God, I, I would eat when I'm hungry and I'd stop when I'm full. I would do all these things that I don't think I can do. I don't think I'm willing to do them. I mean, I guess I, I guess I'm willing. I guess I'm willing. Like if 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 what I get in return for this is spiritual enlightenment, okay, I guess I'm willing. Okay, okay. I can't. So that's why it's so great that step seven is I don't have to because God's gonna do it. <laughs> and so I I generally don't. Uh and then in step eight, I just make a list of all the, the things you know, I'd make a list of all the things and the people that I heard in my eating disorder. And again, I, my, my first sponsor, my sponsor for five of the seven years I've been in this program would say to me, you know, if, the, if what you got in return for doing this was spiritual enlightenment, what wouldn't you do? And I always, I always think about that. Um, and uh, well, I lost my train of thought. Okay. Step six, step seven, step eight, step nine. Oh my God. I love apologizing. <laughs> I love apologizing. I love when it's my fault. I grew up in an environment where um, it's been super, it's been reflected to me that perhaps uh, low self-esteem and me being bad and me being the problem and my personality and my body being an issue was actually more useful to me than the more chaotic alternative than that I wasn't safe because the parents weren't paying attention, that the environment was chaotic and unsafe, and that that is too, was too much for my young mind to embrace. And so I put the locus of control within me. I'm sorry, I'm bad, I did it wrong, I'll fix it, I'll lose weight. Um, 
financial amends are super like great and easy because they're just like so the money I, I for me the money has just always been there the money has just always been there um and paying it back feels so clean and i hate that word i hate that word when people use it with regards to food i truly do um 10 i've done a bunch of different things i've used an app where i just like make stuff that i'm grateful for i generally struggle with 10 because i'm already such a perfectionist that like I don't really want to make a list of all the things I did wrong in a day. Um, so I'm not working as 10 step right now. I have for the most part of my seven years in this program. I'm not working one right now because my 10 step is that I stay in really close touch with all my friends and I'm really candid. I have really solid relationships where we have a couple of people in my life where like, we just really get into it. And when I need help, I ask for it. And when I mess up, I apologize. 11 is um, something that I've worked in a bunch of different ways. It's, you know, uh, it's times that I have obviously like uh, investigated meditation, devoted myself to meditation, subsequently completely forgotten about meditation. I've done other things just for fun. I've done plant medicine journeys. I've done ayahuasca. I've done, I've seen psychics. I've done, I've looked into astrology. I just want to like know about everything. And um, 12 is when I started sponsoring other people. Uh, I know that you can start sponsoring if you have one more day of um, freedom than someone else. It's just not how I've worked it. Um, I want to get current and say my abstinence is nothing. My abstinence is nothing. I had so much noise in my head about leading this podcast because I do not have a single year of this program that I have not had a bulimic slip. I still, uh, oh my gosh, it's actually like the craziest miracle that God like has removed calorie counting from my brain because I, I don't know when that went, but it did. Um, but I still eat, uh, I still really want to be thin. I still, um, still eat compulsively, repetitively. I eat uh, emotionally. Really, 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 really like eating enormous, enormous, enormous salads that like make me super, super full. Uh, Sugar-free things, still a problem. <laughs> um, but I don't have an abstinence because what I measure my recovery by is the size of my life. And my life is enormous. And my life is so good. My relationships are how I measure my abstinence. I am in love with someone who is, for the first time in my life, a vitamin and not a Vicodin. I don't know if he's my soulmate because I don't know if such a thing exists, but I do know that he was delivered to me on purpose. He is my greatest teacher. And the only reason I say I don't know if he's my soulmate is because I am my soulmate. I am. It's no one else's job. 10 minute warning. Sorry? 10 minute warning. It's no one else's job to look after me but mine. Um, I have put this man truly through the ringer <laughs> um, because for a really long time, it was just too scary for me to go out to dinner, even in recovery. I mean, even in like, it, you know, I just really like being skinny just really, really, really was like the, like I would do all the spiritual recovery. I would work the program. I would go to all the meetings. I would like, you guys, I just would 
all, all the spiritual, all the emotional, but I spent most of my seven years in this program in a, like the smallest possible body size I could be in. And about a year or so ago, I was in a place, it was on the eve of the pandemic, where I was so insomniac. I was in a state of mental health that was like truly something I've never seen before in my life. This is having worked the steps so many times. I was uh, insomnia every single night, um, looping, looping, looping OCD, not suicidal thoughts, but thoughts of like, I don't really know what the pleasure of living is. Like, this is really rough. And I had to get super, super honest about the fact that even though I was no longer the person who was, um, you know, underweight, over-exercising, binging and purging, eating 20 zero packs of gum every day, eating 12 one two bags of lettuce every night. These are all things I have done in recovery um, that I still didn't have a period. And there might've been a number of reasons for that. But all of the literature that I had read and all of the experts that I was talking to were saying it was probably that the solution for it was that I needed to eat more and exercise less. And I just had this intuitive feeling in my gut that there was some relationship between the fact that I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't happy, and I didn't have a period. And my weight was stable. My weight has not been dramatic in this program. It's been pretty consistent. But so what? I mean, so what? So last spring, I, I believe maybe the speaker seeker and I connected um, for the first time because I started sharing a meeting, something that I really was not hearing ever anywhere, which is I am a compulsive eater and I need to put weight on and now I'm gonna do it. And I have been to meetings all over the world, Canada, England, cities all over this country and to the person listening to this podcast who thinks that they are meant to hear this, I have seen fellows in this program who have been here for 30 years and are still obsessed with how many grapes they ate, look like they are 20 years older than they are. And there is absolutely no reason that that's not gonna be me. And there is no one who's gonna do anything about that except for me. And so I often also use a lot of the acronyms for God. I use good orderly direction regularly. I use grace over drama all the time. I was working on a show this spring and I was having a really big chocolate thing. It was really big. I was absolutely exhausted all the time. And like an animal, not necessarily like an eating disordered person, like an animal at the end of, you know, 90 hour weeks when it's like four o'clock in the morning and I'm still on set, I would find myself binging on chocolate really. And like, wow, I'm just kind of watching it and being like, wow, this is happening. I'm like really doing this. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to throw up. I'm not going to like, you know, uh, fix it. I'm just going to like 
watch this and be like, okay, this is, this is what's happening right now. I'm trying to escape an environment of my brain of low serotonin and dopamine and a feeling of being trapped by this pleasure in my mouth. Okay, I'm doing this. And why do I mention that? Uh, oh, because there would be that moment at like three o'clock in the morning where I'd be like, I kind of, I, it's, I, I've been cut. I'm like, it's time for me to go home. I really want to keep doing this. Should I go to CVS and buy more candy? And I just sort of like have this grace moment of like, this is a fork in the road right now. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and still be alive. I'm not going to die from this disease. I'm going to have to live with this. <laughs> and do I want to be alive where I stopped right now? Or do I want to be alive where I went to CVS and I kept going? What's drama in this situation? Drama is you take the cab to CVS. I don't need it. I could just go to bed. Like, let's just cut our losses here. And then I wake up the next morning and move on. So look, I don't mean for that to scare anyone in here. I, this is just my recovery, but I'm not in the alcohol program. I'm actually in the program where it is such a sign of my recovery that right now I have gained since last spring, probably about 13 pounds. When I say about 13, I mean, I know, cause I weigh myself cause that's still fun for me somehow. Um, and I'm actually in the body that is the physical representation of whatever it looks like to enjoy going out to dinner and drinking a glass of champagne. And I gotta tell you like this pandemic looked so much like what eating disorder looked like for me voluntarily. It looked like staying home, watching TV, eating the same thing every day, you know, working out like just being indoors all the time and separate from, from, from social interaction, right? That's me and in, in eating disorder is like everything, my eating disorder is more important than every kind of human connection that I just sort of made this promise with myself at the top of it of like, when we get out of this, never again, I'm never gonna do this to myself on purpose. I'm done, I, I, I'm done, I, I have had, I've missed out on too much fun to um, say no to the party invitation because I don't really like the shape and size of my body. But to be honest, I kind of do. Like to everyone who's afraid of gaining weight in, in program, like the idea of it is so much worse than it is. Cause like, then you get there and you're like, oh, this is what I spent literally years of my life avoiding human contact and my potential for this, this isn't that bad, you know, like, come on, it's not that bad. <laughs> and I think like, God wants me to be useful. I still have an eating disorder. I still have eating disorder behaviors. I still, um, yeah, I, I still, you know, up until a couple, a couple weeks ago, I was like sharing really openly in meetings, like you guys, I'm about to light a candle and I am still picking the chocolate chips out of Quest bars. What am I doing? This is like so obvious. For whatever reason that stopped, it just stopped. And I think it's because even though that stuff happens, everything else in life is more important to me now, everything.
my dog, my relationship, my friendships, my family, my work, my health. And I can't help the fact that I have an eating disorder. I know I do literally everything else that there is to do in this program and alert her to solve it. I've always gone to a bunch of meetings. I've always worked the steps. I've always worked the tools. Um, and so if I have an eating disorder, it's not my fault. It's really not a moral issue. The actions that I might take in order to um, like substantiate my eating disorder can be moral. Stealing's not great. <laughs> it definitely made a lot of financial amends for that. Um, lying isn't great. Uh, but like having an eating disorder doesn't make me bad. It definitely made me question whether I was qualified to lead light a candle, but um, you know, I think I am. Um, I, I wish for everybody enough pain. I wish for everybody pain because it's such a perfect doorway. It's such an invitation. It's so useful. I, I dread numbness more than anything because numbness is really where I um, lose time. And I've lost too much of it already. Um, there's so much that I didn't say. It would really be impossible. It would really be impossible. Um, keep coming back. I hope to see you guys in a meeting in person. The last thing I wanna say is um, the traditions are here for a reason. I feel like traditions really got lost in Zoom meetings, a lot of them. And um, you know, AA existed without traditions before, um, uh, before there were. And they, they developed the 12 traditions because um, people came and AA was such a mess and uh, <laughs> so rowdy that people couldn't handle it and they left and they died. So when there's a tradition that I think is boring that's getting read in a meeting or there's a tradition I don't particularly wanna follow, I think about the fact that people died so that I could be here. Um, I didn't think I would end on the traditions but I did just wanna say that. I think my time is done, is it? Yes, it's 620, yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Genevieve. Okay.